Welcome back to our second lecture on Sophocles and Antigone. First, we'll do a review of a few facts, especially in preparation for your quiz tomorrow. Remember that Antigone is a tragedy by the ancient Greek tragedian named Sophocles. And remember that it was first written and performed around 442 BCE. Who can remember what the symbol is that means circa or around? It's a symbol that you have on your computer feed, yes? It is. It can be a C, but there's a specific symbol as well, yes? The so-called at symbol with a circle around it, which means around in our language, or circa in Latin, which, comes, which means also around, which is, uh, of course, based on the word for circle, yes? Um, the, I'd have to ask the Roman grammarians. Probably the Roman grammarians came up with the, uh, it's hard for me to say actually because there's the A in that symbol now their word would have been circa so they used a C. I don't know. I'm going to have to figure that one out. I'll look it up for you. So remember this. Even though the Antigone comes chronologically after Oedipus the King and Oedipus the Colonus it was the one that was first, uh, it was the one that was performed first. So keep that in mind in that the play that actually directly precedes it is not a play that Sophocles wrote himself, but rather Aeschylus wrote, which was the Seven Against Thieves. So remember, there's some big time seven. We know about Capaneus, who got fulminated. We know also about um, Ateocles and Polynices. So remember that as well. Remember that it was Ateocles and Polynices that fought in the Seven Against Thieves. It was Ateocles who usurped the throne from Polynices, so it was the dying wish of Oedipus that Polynices be king. And I believe that's why Ateocles was cursed, but both of them end up being cursed in one way or another. That said, Tiresias and Oedipus the king had told us that all the children of Oedipus were cursed through the voice of Oedipus. Makes sense given uh, how they were first generated. The unholy matrimony between Creon, not Creon, excuse me, that would be even worse, I suppose, maybe, hard to say, Oedipus and Jocasta. That said, recall that Ateocles and Polynices fought directly against each other, they struck each other <clears throat> down in their final moments. So, we entered into the action of Antigone. Antigone is the sister who wants, no matter what, to bury her brother um, Polynices. But recall, who was it that said that Polynices is now defined as a traitor because he attacked the state of Thebes and he will never be buried. He'll be a, someone to be feasted on by birds and dogs. Who declared that? Yes. Creon, and Creon looks sort of like what sort of ruler at this moment? It reminds me a bit of the second part of the name of the Oedipus play. Yes? Tyrannus. Tyrannus, he looks like a tyrant, that's right. And we were talking about in seminar yesterday that we, suggest, we suggested that potentially why he is so harsh and cruel even to his own family members and uh, trying to implement his will even against the will of his own people acting very much like Agamemnon was because he felt in some way... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Insecure about his power. He wished to secure his power by exerting it. But that's not how you secure your power as a leader at all. How is it that we defined yesterday that you secure your power as a leader? How is it that you must act if you wish people to follow you, yes? Justly. Justly, with justice, exactly right. And that seems to be precisely what Creon misses here. Because Antigone has apparently the law of the gods on her side. She is uh, valuing her family not over of the state, but she is valuing rather the laws of the gods over the laws of man, which can obviously be what? Yes? Yes? Wrong. Wrong. That's right. It can be incorrect. It can be based on a misjudgment, a misperception. And that seems to be precisely the problem with Creon, precisely the problem with Oedipus, precisely the problem with Polyphemus, 
precisely the problem with Agamemnon, that they are blind to their own im what? Imperfections, exactly right. And something we said that is massively important for leaders because their choices have consequences, bigger consequences than even their followers, is that they must be not less able to see their imperfections, but rather what? More. They need more self-reflection, and thus they need to more recognize their vulnerabilities as humans, not less. They need to see themselves very much as humans, very much not as what? Gods. Gods. Exactly right. Exactly right. Very good, very good, very good. We went on through this. We met Hymen as well. Hymen, of course, is the fiancé to whom? Antigone. Antigone. And the son of? Creon. So we found out that there was an additional wrinkle in this play, which is that Antigone cares more about her brother and buried him than even her living husband. And we thought about that. Does she have more of a duty to the dead or to the living? But that wasn't really putting the question right, because what does she have more of a responsibility to? The laws of the gods, the eternal laws of the universe, or to the temporary laws of man? Also, she shared some very interesting reasoning. Does anybody recall the reasoning why she, uh, why she said that she would bury her brother and be willing to sacrifice herself for her brother, but not necessarily for her soon-to-be husband? Yes? Right, exactly. Because now that her parents are dead, she can never have another what? Another brother. But uh, since she is a rather uh, fetching young lady, she could always find another husband. And uh, scholars throughout time have found that some, something of shocking logic. That said, I think it's sort of an interesting perspective. Yes? Uh, was that sort of a thing at the time? For women, would they not really have as much regard? I, I don't know that I would say that that was the feeling of women at the time, nor necessarily ever. That would have always been something shocking, because the idea behind marriage is that you leave your original family and go into another one. But the fact that she's not yet married, I think, does change the situation. If she were married to Hymon at that moment, perhaps it would be the case that she would not have made this decision because she would now be part of his family and have some responsibility to him. If she had children as well, I think that would also have changed the situation. But at this point, she's still single and still is a part of Oedipus's um, uh, family, the line of Labdicus. And so, uh, you know, this is just a very complicated situation. But the mo main thing I want you to think about is she's not thinking about Hymon at this point. She's thinking about her brother. She's thinking about doing justice to somebody because if injustice is done to one person, to whom is injustice done? All people, because if one person can have injustice done to them by the leader of people, who potentially can have injustice done to them? What precedent is set? That anybody can have injustice done to them. That's right, that's right, that nobody is um, not above the law so much as above the unfair or unjust acts of the leader. All right. In any case, in any case, we recall also that Creon displayed Ismene in front of Antigone, said that he had seen them talking in the halls and that Ismene must have then been a collaborator with Antigone. Antigone says, no, she wasn't. I don't even want to die with her. You can go ahead and spare her. I would prefer, and this is more interpretation, I would prefer her to live with the guilt of not joining in this just act than dying with full... Um, <clears throat> fully knowing that she was in the right, as I will. And, you know, that's a really interesting question. If you ever watch Braveheart, you'll see, uh, anybody ever seen Braveheart in here? Well, there's this big famous speech that Mel Gibson, William Wallace gives, where he says, essentially, that <clears throat> would you rather die in glory or live on forever in shame? And I think that's really the question that Antigone and Ismene have to answer. Are there some conditions under which it's no longer worth it to be alive? 
if justice is the thing you value most, and you act in an unjust way and miss your opportunity to die, to die justly, will your life be the same afterwards? Will it even be a good life? Will it be a life worth living? For Antigone, the answer is obviously what? <clears throat> no. For Ismene, the answer actually has become what? Also no, because what is it that Ismene wants to do now with Antigone, though she has not fulfilled the preconditions in order to do it? She wants to die, but she didn't help bury her brother. She now wants to join in because she thinks Antigone is going to die, and she says there will be no reason for her to be alive, and she doesn't want to be left alone. Again, it's because of fear, not love, not a sense of justice that she wants to act. Ismene, not a very strong character. Um, perhaps she is the sort of person you do not want to be. In any case, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. All right. So after the big blow-up between Hymon and Creon, where Hymon says, you will never see me alive again, which means either exile or death, most likely death. We know how these plays work. They are tragedies, after all. The blind prophet Tiresias walks in, and we know how this is going to go. If we think back to Oedipus the king, how does it generally happen? Tiresias walks in, has some information to share, shares that information with us, and then we either reject it or accept it. We generally reject it, but we're very foolish to, because is his information ever wrong? No. no. In the Odyssey, it's right. In Oedipus the king, it's right. In Antigone, it will be right. The blind prophet Tiresias is always right, and it's very nice to have access to him because he doesn't really speak in riddles in the same way that the Pythian and the Delphian oracles do. No, he speaks very to the fact. And so uh, we also know that Creon, not wanting to hear the truth, will disparage him in the same way that who did in the last play? Oedipus. Oedipus, not Oedipus. Very good. All right, so Tiresias warns Creon that the gods will side with Antigone, which literally means what about Antigone's argument about whose laws one should follow? She was right, and she was correct in saying that she was following the laws of the gods, not the laws of men, which, men, excuse me, which means who was wrong to condemn her? Creon, this means that what should he do immediately having heard that? He should change his choice. He should make sure that she is not sent off to prison and potentially killed. Because if the laws of God, or the gods, Zeus, do not agree with Creon's laws, his laws are not what? They're not just, they're not right, they're not valid. They're not laws at all. They're, they're mistakes. Very good. And so Creon says even further, you will lose a child for your crimes, which is a big bummer for Creon, because I want you to think about this. He had two sons, Megarius, he sacrificed. Hymon is going to die. He could have had grandchildren if his son, if he had really had some foresight, his son Hymon and Antigone had had kids, he could be very happy. King, children, children's children. Most people want that, right? Soon, he won't have any of this, all because of what? His own choices, which means that who's he going to have to blame? Who do you least want to blame ever about anything? So it's all the worse when you lose everything and then you only have yourself to blame. My goodness, I think that's probably the worst situation you can possibly find yourself in as a human. What do you think? Yeah, probably, probably because then you're all alone and who caused it? And you know, that will be the lesson you learn from both John Milton's Satan and, um, and uh, Dante's Lucifer next year. When we get down to the bottom of the inferno, 
Lucifer will be there all by himself, but he'll have some miserable company. He'll be chewing on a few traitors. Did I teach you about any of those traitors yet? Y'all teach you about them when we get into the Aeneid the week after next. Brutus and Cassius, very famously, and also a guy named Pontius Pilate. I'll teach you more about him next year. In any case, Creon will lose a child for his crimes of leaving Polynices unburied. That was wrong. Bad decision. And for punishing Antigone so harshly. So he's compounding his mistakes. He's digging in. He's making more and more mistakes. What should he be doing when he recognizes that he makes a mistake, when it is brought to his attention that he's making a mistake by his family members, by his chorus, by his people, by Tiresias, who's never wrong? Yeah, he should make a change. And yet he's very what? What is the word for people who refuse to change even when they're wrong? Arrogant, stubborn, strong, uh, strong, um, hard-headed, not strong-headed, hard-headed, like, yeah, uh, not hollow-headed necessarily, but he does act that way in times. All right, so Tiresias then says, all of Greece will despise you, Creon, and frankly, more than all of Greece, we're in America. How do we feel towards Creon right now? Ah, yes, a little bit of disposition. Just kidding, that's not a word. We despise him a bit, yes. And he even says that the sacrificial offering, uh, offerings of thieves to the gods will not be accepted by the gods. So who will Creon's... Who will Creon's choices have consequences for? His entire people. So he has every single reason not to continue making the choices that he has. It will hurt his own people. It will hurt himself. It will hurt the people who are closest to him. And yet he is willful and stubborn. Creon merely dismisses. Tiresias calls him a corrupt old fool. We'll see who the old fool truly is soon enough. And recall that this is part of our theme. That if you disparage a prophecy, you disparage that prophecy at your own risk. Whether you be Polyphemus, whether you be Oedipus, whether you be uh, ta, uh, Creon here. The only person I think we've seen who took a prophecy and did the right thing based on it. Uh, at the beginning of the Iliad, we saw Achilles do that. I thought that was pretty good. But also, uh, recall the Phaeacians, Alcanoas. He remembers the prophecy about his people being destroyed due to his decisions. And he works in a way to help uh, keep the consequences from being as severe as they possibly could. All right. So the chorus becomes terrified. They've listened with open ears to Tiresias. They understand the perspective that he's giving. They understand the information. They understand that it's in their best interest because they're part of Thebes to have Creon do uh, act in such a way as to make it so that the gods do not turn against them. That would be, that'd be very bad, uh, to say the least. And so, eventually, but all too late, and this is a part of tragedy, timing matters. This is a part of life, timing matters. Well, if you score a goal on, uh, uh, on somebody during a game, that's a good thing. But what if, you just shoot on, uh, what if you just shoot on an empty goal when no one's there? Is it the same thing that you've accomplished? No. Creon has missed the boat. He's now showing his ticket, but the boat has left. It's not going to work out. So he consents to follow the advice of both the chorus and Tiresias, and he goes to free Antigone and to bury Polynices. But we've got to move fast. We've got to move fast because young people are moving, and young people move fast, and they make quick, rapid decisions. So Creon now is understanding the weight of the decisions he's made. He's shaken. He's vacillated. And now uh, he's contrite, and he realizes that he's made mistakes. But is it going to be too late? Is it going to be too late? Well, let's see. Oh, no. 
Oh no, a messenger enters. And do these messengers often bring us good news in these tragedies? No, even when they bring good news, it's often bad news. And oh no, oh no, Paimon and Antigone have both taken their own lives. We find that Antigone had fashioned a noose just like Jocasta, just uh, in in her 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 dark cave prison, and she decided to take her own life. When Hymon found her there, he himself became enraged. Creon goes to the cave. He and and Hymon takes out his sword, and it looks like he rushes towards uh, Creon. Creon flees slightly, and then Hymon. I'm not sure whether it is actually the case that he was going to kill Creon, but then he turns his blade on himself. And you know, you might well want to think which 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 is worse for Creon, losing his son or being killed by his son? Because at least if he's killed by his son, his son might marry and might pass his genes on, might have another child. But now that both of his sons are dead, and oh my goodness, what's the next thing we're going to find out when we return to the city? Now Creon's wife, named Eurydice, has killed herself. Eurydice is always tragic. The other Eurydice, famous from mythology, was the wife of, or the, the, the wife of Orpheus, who was bitten by a snake and died the day of their wedding, during their wedding feast. I know, awful, very, very, very terrible. I'll tell you about that story a little bit more um, during the Aeneid, I believe. I think it comes up in, at the end of book one. I think there's a fresco about that on the Temple of Juno, Hera. In any case, oh, now Antigone is dead. Hymon is dead. Eurydice is dead. Both of Creon's sons, dead. His niece, dead. Both of his nephews, dead. His wife, dead. He's left with what? I mean, and honestly, think about that. You could say he's left with his Mine, but what does that really mean at this point? She's the other character that we despise because of her cowardice. And so, Creon himself begins to understand that his own actions have led to these events. And it is the case that a second messenger shows up and tells him that Eurydice has killed herself. And with her last breath, on a, very, a most important detail, in her last breath, she has cursed her husband and his intransigence, his inability to change. And so just, I mean, that's sticking the knife in and then what in the knife? Twisting. Twisting the knife. That's making a wound that will never disappear from Creon's soul, you might say. Good, good, good. Well, now... Creon blames himself for everything that's happened. Why would he blame himself for everything that's happened? Because he caused everything to happen. That's right. He is the root cause. He is the he is the uh, the root of the corruption in Thebes. Now he has become like whom? Like Oedipus himself, the man that he replaced in all his glory. He too has become a great man that has fallen. He staggers away, a broken man. And the order and rule of law that he values so much has been protected. <laughs> but who has it protected? Nobody. Not even himself. And he has acted now against the gods, lost his child, lost his other child, lost his potential grandchildren, lost his glory, lost his fame, lost his place in the world, lost his relationship to the gods, lost everything. And so the chorus closes the play with an intent at consolation by saying that, and this is this is very thin consolation, I would say that even though the proud are punished, that with punishment comes wisdom. And that's certainly true, hopefully at least wisdom for whom? 
all of us, that's right. We are to learn from Creon so that we are not so intransigent as he. And that's Antigone, everybody.